It's time to get away. And to help get you there, it's Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel Bags, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. I'm so glad you guys are joining me today because when we travel, we always want to try the local traditional foods in the places we're visiting. But have you stopped to think about why are those particular foods considered traditions or considered special or unique to that particular region? Well, today's show, we're going to tackle just that and talk about rice. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about rice because did you know that rice was Georgia's and South Carolina's most important commercial agricultural commodity in the low country area during the mid 18th century until the early 20th century. Rice was like the golden crop. And we're going to talk about a rice that is called just that, Carolina gold rice. As rice production shifted to Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas away from the southeast low country, the area saw a decrease in the commercial profits. The legacy lived on not only with the people, but also with the land. And as you will hear a little later in the show, I bring on a farmer who is actually growing the rice today. His name, Roland Chambers. And he says that the land remembers, even until today, the land remembers exactly where the rice was planted. Now, with rice such a big part of his family legacy, he grows it today with the desire to actually pass it on to his grandchildren children, pass that legacy on and continue it in his family. Now, most scholars will will tell you that the route and the skill of rice culture was from West Africa, where the knowledge of rice cultivation originated and came over with the enslaved Africans. It was always said that black labor produced white rice. And the plantation owners knew that in order to have a successful growth in the rice culture would really depend on the labor with the knowledge and the skill to make it a success. West Africa was the site where enslaved Africans were brought over to cultivate the rice in the Southeast Low Country. So today, the Carolina Gold Rice Foundation is renewing and revitalizing the crops from the 17 and 1800s. Now, they're making it available for us to experience so we know what those foods taste like and what those foodways were during that time. Glenn Roberts, the president of the Carolina Rice Foundation and the owner of Anson Mills, shares why the project to revitalize these rice crops is so vitally important to remembering our food ways and recognizing what makes certain foods traditions in certain areas. So here's my conversation with Glenn. Uh, and our main headquarters is in, is in Columbia, South Carolina, but uh, we farm rice from Texas to Maryland and maybe even north of there this year as well um, and up into Missouri. Uh, we do all the other crops that go with the uh, <laughs> Rice Kingdom kitchen. Okay, so I hear rice, rice, rice. So, Glenn, tell me what all types of rice are you growing in all these different places? They're the heritage rices of the Antebellum South and essentially uh, the holes in 
the antebellum south for heirloom rices are all the most important ones that we don't have. Carolina gold rice uh, was gold rice was relatively easy to uh, scale up because the USDA uh, seed banks had good characteristic Carolina gold rice, and it was in the Philippines, it was in the African banks, it was in the English, uh, English banks, it was here in America in five different places. So it wasn't that you couldn't get the plant and look at it, just no one wanted to grow it because modern rice is up around 15,000 to 20,000 pounds an acre now. Carolina gold is best at a ton, so 2,000 to 3,000 pounds. So just yield-wise, it doesn't make sense to grow it. But the plant's so majestic and the flavors are so good, and it was in the pharmacopoeia, not just the herbal. So it was considered to be medicine as well. And the big deal is in the sun cycle system, which is African, when it's grown correctly, there is no bifurcation or division between the herbal and the pharmacopoeia. Food is medicine, and that's also true with native culture prior to first contact here as well. We tend to forget that, and since uh, there's been deep interest in rices and their biodensity and nutrition factors, Carolina gold is pretty extraordinary. So it's good to have it back, but then there were other rices that were equally as important or more important, especially the provision rices. We have the most important provision rice, which is uh, Glaberima African rice, medium grain. Uh, the highest level of that rice was deep red, almost black. And they just think they found an African Glaberima in the Upper Suriname River last summer. The DNA work's being done at Cornell. Uh, Rod Wing uh, at the University of Arizona is going to do the genetic uh, comparisons, but they're doing all the work up at the Makuch Rice Lab. And it was Dr. Erica Steiger that found it, and it was all women. And everywhere you go, when you say rice, you end up talking to women. No matter what anybody tells us, women have been handling this crop from the beginning. And in native culture, women always handled corn, too, on our continent, back to the beginning of time here. So you see something that has to do with women, homeopathy, spirit, and medicine all combined into a pretty healthy system that's cared for and nurtured by a woman's community. But do we know why, though? I mean, why, why were women so involved in those particular crops? When you think of all the other things that were grown? I think men have no sense to do things year in, year out. You have to think in the abstract for years ahead in order to guarantee that your children and grandchildren are going to be well-nourished. You can't just go out and drag a beast back and feed the village once every six weeks or so and be a hero. And if you want to reduce it to that, I think it really does reduce to that, that women uh, nurture and plant the plant kingdom nurturing is the difference between domestication and feral plants. That nurturing aspect, uh, which may sound sexist coming from me because I'm an old white guy, but you know, the bottom line is women always pick up things f faster in our fields. And when I see a really good, competent, guy growing rice, there's usually a woman. Like, for instance, uh, Francis and Roland Chalmers. Roland and I work together, but Francis actually has better understanding of what we're doing than we do. But I want to switch over a little bit to um, also the, does it taste like the regular rice that I just buy at the public store? No. <laughs> That's the most important notion about all this and, and there's a delicious side that's really easy to understand because you immediately get it oh wow i love that flavor i love that texture and it's unique but the other side of the coin is in all old plants because they're all subject to hand selection hand picking you pick for flavor but that flavor actually 
in the the world of someone thinking about the future that needs to have nutrition. So you're also picking for flavor that reflects the highest nutrition. In what we call heirloom plants, which is before the Industrial Revolution, or land-raised plants to be more precise, flavor equals nutrition. Nutrition equals biodensity. Biodensity equals uh, the pharmacopoeia side. The herbal is when you're looking at a rice plant. The pharmacopoeia side is when you actually dining upon it at the table. And you can distinctly tell the difference. My mom, she was raised on the Sea Islands, and she was pounding her own rice during the Depression because they didn't have any money, and growing her own rice. Uh, and she used to hate what she called box rice. She said it tasted like vitamins, smelled like vitamins because it's fortified. And there's a good reason for that, I think, because we did have pellagra here in the South, and the South Carolina drafted the first nutrition laws to combat that. But it wasn't rice contributing to that. It was modern industrial rice that had been polished to a farthy well, had nothing left on it. When you're hand-pounding rice, you just get enough bran, the outer bran layer off the rice to whiten it some and allow it to cook with half the fuel. And you get to retain all that flavor. But it's highly perishable once you do that. So you pound it, it goes straight to the pot. We found at Anson Mills to be able to emulate that whole process. So all of our rices are perishable. And we have kaleidoscope of flavored rices, both in colors. We have green rice, black rice, red rice, pink rice, amber rice, white rices of all different kinds. And we have rices that have green brand. So we have every color in the spectrum of rice and all different flavors associated with that. We have to stop for a break right here. But when we come back, I will talk with Farmer Roland about growing the Carolina Gold Rice now and the legacy of his family here on Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. Back in a moment. Welcome back to Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. So often we go on trips and we want to try the traditional foods. We want to try those foods that are known to be the local food culture. But do we ever stop to think about why or how those foods became so important to those destinations that we are visiting? And on today's show, we're talking about rice because rice was a very vital commercial part of Georgia's history as well as South Carolina's history. In this segment of the show, I'm going to move over and talk with Roland Chambers, who is growing one of the types of rice that was grown during the antebellum period of time. And that rice was called the Carolina Gold Rice. But the gopher rice that we start off talking about is part of a project that was taking place on the property of Roomslow, which has a University of Georgia agricultural research facility operated by Dr. Sarah Ross. Roland shares how the aspect of rice becoming a successful commercial commodity was supported by and anchored in the knowledge of enslaved West Africans, their knowledge of how to plant it and how to harvest it, as well as the control of the water necessary to, to make the crops grow, really important to the success and it becoming such a great commodity so quickly. In this segment, you'll hear us talk also, too, about how the rice came over. And so often, a lot of these heritage crops that were part of the antebellum period of time, 
you will hear people refer to the enslaved people brought these crops with them. So it's not that they literally brought them themselves because it was known that they had the knowledge and how to grow it. So they were brought over as enslaved labor. So let's jump right in with my conversation with Farmer Roland as we start off talking about this project that's taking place on Rimsow that was really fascinating. And we'll continue to talk about his family and his involvement in growing this rice and continuing this legacy. We have some Carolina gold rice growing out there and also some gopher rice that Sarah uh, is experimenting a little bit with this year. Hopefully we'll get to plant some more of it next year. Now, gopher rice is different from the Carolina gold rice. Well, it's a, it's a rice that uh, can also be grown and not a, you wouldn't need as much water to grow this rice, this gopher rice. Uh, right now we're in the experimental process of it. Now, but we're sure going to find out more about it. And is it from West Africa as well? Yes, yeah, it's some of the rice from West Africa too. And Carolina gold, let's go back uh, in history. Why is this rice so special, especially to us here in this region of the U.S.? Well, this was one of the first rice that uh, was brought over um, in this area, and, and it was almost like it's like a, was like a cash crop, and it, it, it just grows real good in this type soil in the humidity of this south. So this is from West Africa? Yes. Now, were they growing it in West Africa, and how would it have come over on the ships with the slaves? From what I've been told, this, this rice is, uh, came over on it, the slaves brought the rice over, it's been grown here for years, the Carolina gold rice, and it kind of disadvantaged. And uh, it was brought back say, uh, a few, quite a few years ago um, in South Carolina. I began growing this rice, been back about 10 years now since I've been growing it. So you and Sarah are doing project here at Rooms right. right. But you grow this professionally. I mean, this is kind of what you do. Absolutely. So where, where are you growing it? And tell us a little bit about where you're growing it or how much acreage you're growing and just... All the details. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I'm growing it over at Turnbridge Plantation in South Carolina, near Hardyville. It, uh, Turnbridge Plantation is owned by Richard, Dr. Richard Schultz, Jr., that own Turnbridge um, Plantation. Uh, well, I grow approximately 30 acres on some of the older rice fields over there. Mm-hmm. This is where the whole thing got started back up with the Carolina gold rice by Richard Schultz, Sr., Dr. Richard Schultz Sr. was the one that actually went all over the world and everywhere else and found this seed, and he started growing it there uh, years back, and he kind of got away from it. And then a friend of mine, we got into it and started growing it back on that property. So this was the rice that then would have been growing in the antebellum time, uh, during the time when uh, our ancestors would have been slaves. Right. That's correct. That's correct. This is the rice, Carolina gold. Do you know if your ancestors actually grew it? Do, do, how much family history do you know am, about what you're doing as a legacy? Well, I, I am almost 100% sure. My mother would tell me stories about how they grew uh, They grew the rice. And uh, there was also a mill that uh, was very, wasn't very far from where my mother and father grew up um, in a little area over, in, over there in South Carolina. And they would cut the rice and 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 uh character that that gentleman he would mill it for some of the rice they would swap out a little bit i'm assuming and then they'll keep some of it to have for food for the year mm-hmm. so i know that th- this is the same rice that was grown back you know over 200 years ago that came over from africa that we were growing they were growing yeah that they were growing there so like you said i mean they they wanted to have something to eat and i'm sure the people that were the 
capturing the slaves and bringing them over. Also probably wanted to make sure that they had something that they were accustomed to growing. That's right. That's right. They, you know, that's that's a fact right there. Um, these people uh, knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they were well-educated in the, in the water and how to build these different dikes and whatnot to hold that water. And, um, you know, it, it just was a part of their life. And, and it actually turned into where uh, they grew that Carolina gold rice. Well, I mean, absolutely. It was definitely an economic boost it when, was. Uh, when rice started growing. It was. Do you have any memories, then, Roland, of growing up around rice being grown? When I was growing up, all the rice growing in my family had quit. My parents had, you know, had gotten older, and they had quit. Uh, the, uh, the property, we still own the property. The property is still in the family and everything. They didn't grow any more rice. Um, but they told me, you know, how the rice was grown and how they cut it and everything. And um, in the backyard when they would thrash it and everything. And my mother still, she's she's 92 years old now, and I can uh, she can still tell you how to do all this stuff because her and her younger brother, that's what they had to do. It was it wasn't, and they weren't making money off of this. This was a survival thing. It really was a survival thing. And I uh, heard. Her grandmother actually worked on one of the plantations. She would catch this little train and go down to Fife Plantation and work in them fields and come back in the afternoon. So, um, you know, and then... And this is your mother's grandmother. That was my mother's grandmother mm-hmm. that would do, was doing that. She would walk sometimes. Well, she had to catch a train, then she had to walk mm-hmm. uh, every afternoon um, back from down there. Now, was this in South Carolina or This was Georgia? in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. This is a plantation. Actually, it's adjoining. Um, it's adjoining the National Wildlife Refuge today. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's adjoining the National Wildlife Savannah National Wildlife Refuge today. Um, yeah, they grew a lot of rice down there. They grew a lot of rice. Um, so this is like your legacy, Roland. I mean. <laughs> Your, your, that would be your great grandmother then. That's that's that correct. Was growing rice. That's correct. And if she wasn't enslaved, she must have been pretty yep. tuned out. It, it, it was really close. Yeah, everything was really, was close. really, everything was really close that was happening there with um with my great grandmother, um because my mother knew. She, you know she she can tell me. She told me a lot of different stories about what was going on and you know how they farmed and everything, and her dad and whatnot, and um maybe you know we just kept right on them. My grandfather, her father, he kept right on farming just a little when I became big enough to get out and work with him. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from him. And then my dad's dad, he was he farmed. He did a lot of stuff with sweet potatoes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, on yep. the other. I'm sure the crops changed as yeah. times went on. That's right. That's Cause, correct. Because to really have, I would think, a commercial uh, rice growing business, mm-hmm. you need quite a bit of acreage. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, and then what played a vital part, too, was the water. Um, you know, with people, you getting water on your property. Because back in them days, you didn't have a 6-inch or 8-inch well to pump water in your fields like you would have today to do a rice field. So you was really depending on water coming from the, from the rivers, like Savannah River, to flood your fields. You know, you needed a lot of ditch work. There was a lot of hard work. Digging ditches through those swamps for other people to get water to irrigate their crops and stuff. Wow, isn't it fascinating to hear all of the things that Farmer Roland has to say about growing rice? But now we have to stop and take a break. But when we come back, we're going to pick right back up with my conversation with Roland. Back in a moment, you know, travel bags with Anita and friends. It's harvest time in this little town. 
with Anita and friends. Now today's show is all about rice, Carolina gold rice, which was a crop that was grown in the low country of Georgia and South Carolina in the 17 and 1800s. It was very interesting to hear all of the things that Roland had to say during my last segment, and I'm bringing him back. But before I do, I want to share something with you. I don't usually share the raw audio from some of my trips. I usually clean it up a bit. But I want to share with you the raw audio from us out in the rice field when we found out from Sarah Ross, who is the director of the University of Georgia's research facility at Roomslow. She let us know that we were actually standing in the oldest agricultural field in Georgia. This land has been owned for 10 generations by the same family. She says that they've actually found rice seeds how excited we got when we realized we were standing on land that was very near to where where the Carolina gold rice was actually being grown and harvested. You can get a sense of the excitement that we feel being out in the fields, having a chance to do this project, and have a sense of what it was like in the 1700s, 1800s, when the enslaved people labored with this rice. It's the oldest agricultural field in the state of Georgia. Wow! wow. Really? It's field, and it has been obviously in the same family for 10 generations, and always for row crops. Man, look at that. Yep, same family. Row crops, vegetable row crops. crops. So it was never never rice, never cotton. Um, But we do know many of the sites at Wormslow where rice was grown. And one of them is, well, you know, Roland, where you just took this. Well, I put the causeway in over there. Where that causeway is. And if you look out, you can see how they built a causeway kind of here. And then I think they would have had a um, a rice gate there, a trunk there so that they could have the fresh water come in mm-hmm. and Absolutely. keep the salt right. water out. That's right. That's right. So we've done a lot of archaeology over there and we can't find any remnants of a of a trunk, but you know, right. that, that would rot and decompose. And, right, that's right. Yeah. But what we did do is we took a number of soil samples uh-huh. from over there and we found grains of rice wow. that have been there since the late 1700s. Oh, wow. Remnant yeah. in the soil, they're called... Um, Phytoliths, because they're plant, and then they're mineral replacement into a stone-like structure. And we sent them off to Brazil, and they did DNA on it to identify that they were Carolina gold rice. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really amazing. Here we are, you know, 21st century, here we're growing rice again. Look at that. That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. It's like what we said the other day. It's like the land doesn't forget. The land holds on to it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's been really fun to go back and do the archaeology, anthropology, and take soil samples. Mm -hmm. Because then we can determine which types of agricultural activities Mm -hmm. happened at what time period. Mm -hmm. Because you say, oh, well, they grew this crop year or this crop year. Well, that was that year. Right. Or that decade. Mm -hmm. Or maybe for a few decades. But then what happened before? Before, what happened after? Before, what after, after, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. 
I love when you can like stand in history, when you like know exactly kind of yes. what happened at a place yep. and in a space. I, I, I love that kind of thing. And that's exactly what we study here, environmental history. Humans mm. in the environment. How do humans change the environment? What do they want to get out of it? How do they manipulate it to get what they want? And then how does the land respond? Yeah. And then how do humans come back and then try something else or mm. try to change that? So right. it's that constant interaction between humans and the environment. That's really cool. See what I mean? We were super excited. Now I want to jump back into my conversation with Roland because he goes further with telling us about how they have to actually prepare the ground for rice to be planted. And I did see that it was kind of lower down in the mm-hmm. ground. We were standing higher and then the, mm-hmm. the rice was down lower. So right. what is that process? You're saying that you have to dig ditches. So it's not like you just go plant it plow the land and just kind of plant it. You've got to really do some digging and you got to do some digging. You got to build an empowerment to hold that water. Once you get the water, the rain play a part too with water when you're planting rice. You may not have to flood as much if you if it's a rainy season, you don't have to flood as much. You don't have to depend on the river or a well. You know you're getting rain water. Um, and it's a good thing with rice. That's saving you both ways. But but you do have to have water there to grow this rice mm-hmm. and you know that's 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 just it you know you gotta have water when is the season for growing rice um you're looking at the, the startup probably somewhere right around may first to me you could get in there or maybe april it depends on you know if all your frost is gone if all your frost is gone and you think you can do something mid-april go for it you get an early harvest then you probably can come back in right tune it and you get another crop out of the rice and are, is it seeds or is it rice plugs? It's or? a seed. It's a seed. It's a seed. Okay. That's that's the way we I plant a seed. It's not plugs like you would look and you would see in the Asian country where they're out there in the mud and everything, yeah. walking in the water, plugging it, going right, along, planting right. the road. No, mm-hmm. it, it's not like that. I come in and plant it um, as a dry seed. It's planted on dry land. And then once it get growing, I start bringing water. To. Planting in May, and you said you could get more than one harvest. Mm-hmm. When is the first harvest? The first harvest would probably be right around, say, like last uh, last August, first of September, like what we what we were doing today. Okay. And then we'll cut it. We'll reflood, and around about October, we'll cut it again. We are in, you know, the area of the U.S. where the hurricanes love to come through yep, here. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so, what does that do for our rice field? Hurricane is a disaster for rice field. That's the last thing I'm wanting to see, even worse than weeds. You know, you have a problem with weeds, too, but if you get that rice up enough, that water and that rice to control the weeds yeah. out there. The hurricane, if it comes in and you get all the wind, um, what's going to happen here is it's going to make the rice large. And lodging is when the rice actually lays down. Mm-hmm. You come out there one day, you might got a, a five, five feet area that's laid down on it. You come out tomorrow, you got twice the big area. Oh. That rice is steady falling down. Steady falling, steady falling. does it come back up or? No. It never, it, ne- it never comes back up. Oh, wow. It's gone. It's, it's, if, you don't, if you can't get in there by hand and you got a machine to pick it back up, it's all over. Oh, that you, would be devastating. Yeah, it is. Back when uh, Matthews, a few years, a few years back, um, I lost like four fields like that. Um, there was wow. nothing we could do. Wow. You know, it came in. Hurricane. And four fields would be how, how much acreage? Four fields, uh, for all four of my field, you probably look at about 30. That, that's no more than about 30. These are small fields. They're almost like the fields that the actual fields that slaves would farm when rice first come to the United States. They're not, you you know, you look in Arkansas, some of you seen a 1,500-acre field, a 500-acre field, 2,000-acre field. Um, these fields are small traditional fields. Okay. They're smaller fields. They got all the uh, surroundings. 
I would say, um, around it, just like when it was formed 200 years ago or 250 years ago here in the United States. You got all your beautiful live oaks, your palms, everything's happening. You got your alligator, you got your snakes in there. Everything is in these fields. In the rice fields? In the rice fields. Oh, so because someone today asked me if, if there are any snakes in oh, there. Yeah. And I, I kind of laughed and said, That field no, right there, you probably won't have it. But my fields down there, you would need to put on snake boots. Because um, you would what find, kind of snake are we talking you would about? find your cotton mouth and your, and your um, cotton mouth and your water moccasins would be in those fields. Yeah, I would think water Because of the yeah. frogs. Oh, they're coming for the they're frogs. They're coming to eat the frogs. And the alligators in there during the summer. The alligators in there during the summer because the alligators love the cool, fresh water. You see some of the biggest alligators in these fields, the large fields. It'd be like you had a wildlife, at a wildlife refuge. Those gators love those fields, those rice fields. And I want to jump back over to Turnbridge, the mm-hmm. plantation where you're working now. Would our ancestors have grown rice in those fields where you are now? More than likely. I wouldn't say they grown it in those fields right there, but next door uh-huh. at Delta Plantation, you're almost 100% sure that there were slaves that worked that plantation and grew rice. I mean, does the land hold memory? Can you look it at does. Yeah, you can look at the land. You can field. look at it. Yeah. You see the old embankments. You see some of the trees wow. that uh, that growed into the old embankments that was there 150 years ago, 200 years ago. You you see that embankment still through there, and you see where they had the, the rises where they let the water off it. Yeah. The, the, the indentation always be in the earth. If you know what you're looking for, you can go out there and find it. Wow. You can go out there and find it. You find these fields. Even though you got trees in there with trunks over three feet to four feet in diameter, you still can find in where those fields were at. Interesting information from Roland, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, I'm going to pick up my conversation with Roland. It gets really interesting in the next segment. Back in a moment, you know, travel bags with Anita and friends. Welcome back to Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. Now, as I wrap up my lively and very engaging conversation with Roland Chambers, we start this segment sharing our very own personal experiences with the presence of ancestors who worked those rice fields during the antebellum days. And then later in the segment, Roland shares what I call a very powerful point where I say it's really family pride, that they still live on their ancestral land. And I'm talking about 99 acres of it. So he shares that story. And their land borders the Delta Plantation, one of the places where Carolina gold rice was grown and was dependent upon the labor of enslaved Africans. And I'm thinking maybe some of them are his ancestors. Now here's the last part of my conversation with Roland. When you're out there in the field, do you ever feel the sense or the spirit of, of our ancestors? All the time. T- tell me about that. Really? All, practically every time I'm out there doing this, this in those fields. Um, you know, you be out there, you know, and you, you know, your mind just kind of get to wandering off and you know, you say, well, man, this is, you know, unbelievable. You know, these people were out here 150 years ago, you know, 200 years ago, out here and just doing this, you know, but not even the machine. Yeah. They didn't even have a machine. The only thing they had was hoeing rakes. And not even the machete. Huh? Not, not even a machete. I found an old hoe in one of those fields, a part of it, not the complete hoe, just the eye 
and maybe a few inches of what used to be a hole. So that hole probably, you know, that hole probably was over 100 years old. And I got it at the house right now, over there on my fireplace. Well, I asked that question because uh, I had a, a chance, Dr. Schultz invited my husband and I to come by the, right. the plantation. This was years ago, I would mm-hmm. say, I don't know, 12 years ago or right. more. And we were out there early in the morning because mm-hmm. we had heard that right. in the morning as the sun comes in, that's when you want to see it Beautiful. because the uh, Carolina gold is called mm-hmm. that because of the you know the gold heel mm-hmm. that it has in the sunshine. Right. And I tell you, Ellen, I mean, I felt, I turned at one point. You can point, feel the presence. It seems like somebody's watching. Some, I, I felt as though yeah. I actually saw someone yeah. that I could see. I mean, I knew that no one was there, but I could see them walking to start their day. It's, it's, it's almost like... Um, it's almost like a like spirits are always out there with you when you're working in these places. You you know you got two spirits out there, and I'm almost certain. You know, I had never seen as nothing. People say, "Well, you nuts." You know, you out of there, but you find so much stuff out there. Not a lot of it, but if you know what to look for, it's like down in Turnbridge. You find not all arrowheads out there in them fields. Mm-hmm. You find the uh, Indian shell ring, oyster shell rings. Yeah, you got them out there when you're hairing up. And with them tractors, um, if you look close, you find where somebody's Indian started making the arrowhead. All this stuff went on there. It was something happened here at some time. Something mm-hmm. serious happened. You know, someone was living here and working this ground at one time. What do you think your ancestors would say that they worked those fields because they had to? Yep, they, they had, had no to. choice. They had to. Now you're growing the same fields mm-hmm. in, the, in some of the same fields, or right. nearby the same fields. Right. The same crop mm-hmm. that they were forced to grow. Right. You're growing it by choice, and mm-hmm. you can make money from yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. So, that's what, true. so how how do you think your your ancestors would feel? You know, I think they would really feel good about it. To be honest with you, because to see what we're doing today mm-hmm. that uh, they never had an opportunity to do, it would be like something that I'm doing here now. I was allowed to do here at my age that my granddaughter, I got a granddaughter now, she would be able to do here now another, uh, she lived to be 60 years old or 70 years mm-hmm. old, that, and she would be doing some things that I didn't have a chance yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. So I feel the same way about my grandparents and them and my great-grandparents them on the property that we own, different properties that we own. Well, it's the traditions you're carrying yeah. on. I mean, yep. you're, you're not backing away saying, oh, well, they had to do that. I yep. don't have to do that. I can do something yep. else. I mean, you're not, because so many of us take yep. that attitude uh, yep. you know, about our, our history. That's right. But you're there honoring, really, what I think is their history, is the history that they, that they created, yep. that they built yep. with your legacy that you're leaving, like you said, for your granddaughter. That's now. right. You know, I, and I think about me, I enjoy being out in them kind of environment. You know, people talk to me all the time. They say, why are you out there and all these snakes and alligators you tell me about in these fields, what you're dealing with here? Man, why in the world are you out there doing something like this? I said, well, one thing I enjoyed, my grandparents, great-grandparents, know they done the same thing back in them days. And I, I want to experience at least some of it and see how this crop is, how it grow, you know, be out there in those fields and whatnot. That's, that's the whole thing about it with me. What would you say... It's what you love about this. What, what gets you up in the morning to get you out in that field, whether it's an it's an alligator or right. that? Because you're not thinking about that. Right. So what what is what is your what is that? What is that coming from inside you, from your heart, from inside you that fulfills you, that makes you want to grow this crop and the other crops that you grow? Two two things. Two things about this. What you just asked me. Um, I love it as a passion, doing this. 
The second thing is that I would love to see when I'm not here one day, see someone else come and do the same thing as a black, as a black person. I would love to see them come and do the same thing that I'm doing here today. I don't care if it's 50 years from now, I don't care if it's 20 years from now, but I would love to see someone else come with the same passion yeah. that I have about the outdoor growing and wildlife too. Mm-hmm. I really care about, I care a lot about wildlife. That's all I ever, all through my life, that's what I've, I've done is get out in the wild, hunt, fish, and mainly honey and growing stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll pick up anything and bring it home and grow it. You'll make it grow. Yeah, I'll make it grow. No matter what it is, I, I, I'll bring anything. i bring, for instance, my wife, these, um, I'll bring anything home and I got to go. And she said, what is that over there? <laughs> but that's that's just me, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah. I, I, I definitely love that. Now, you live in South Carolina. I live in South Carolina. Carolina. But you're like right on the other side yep. of Savannah. I'm just right across Savannah River. Mm-hmm. I'm about 15 minutes from downtown Savannah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can actually go down where I plant the rice to turn bread and you can see all the ships coming in downtown. Yeah. That's a beautiful piece of property. There. It is. It is. I got, we got property right up the road from where you was at, at uh, Dr. Schultz's property. We got the Chalmers track right there. That's with my dad and his brothers and um, his two sisters. Um, my grandfather brought, bought that property um, years ago for them to have, and um, we still own all of it right now, that property right there. And they, it adjoins Delta Plantation. Oh, okay. That property that we have a joint Delta plantation. Yeah. How, how much? How much land does your family have? Uh, there, that particular property that joined Delta plantation is right at I think, right at a hundred acre there. Wow, it's That's right good. at a hundred acre. I think it's ninety nine point something uh-huh. now. And what other things? Because I am trying to rush and get you out of here. What right. other things do you grow? Um, you know, uh, I like growing uh, peas. I grow peas and um, <laughs> I, uh, okra. I like growing okra. Mm-hmm. But I don't do it on a larger scale as I do with rice. Mm-hmm. You know, I do something just uh, to have for my family, um, for them to eat, and I enjoy giving it away to them. You know, they can come anytime and say, oh, you got this, or you got some greens, or you got some okra, or whatever. Yeah, sure, come and get some of it, you know. And, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I just enjoy growing stuff. Well, does, does anybody call you like the rice man or something? They do. They yeah. do. Some, uh, you know, I was in a Walmart one night, and... Um, this guy that I had cleared some land for, I didn't even see him. And he says, honey, that's the guy that was on television growing the rice. And that's the guy that cleared our land. And uh, she said, you don't know that man. That's the and, 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 and she said, that is rolling. And she said, rolling, I didn't know you was a farmer. I said, well, I grow rice. You know, I don't farm everything. And um, then another guy, he overheard us and he walks up. And he said, so you the guy that was on that educational channel growing the rice. Yes, you. And I said, yeah. But, you know, I, I just, I, I enjoy doing it. Well, that's, hey, the word is out there. I mean, yep. it's something special you're doing. And I'd like to thank you for keeping the traditions alive because people just think we grew cotton. Yeah, that's. You know, oh, you know, my ancestors, all the slaves, and, yep. what, and you know, they drive by. I, I've even had people say it's racist if for uh, to drive by and see cotton growing in yep. the field. Yep. I'm like, well, cotton's got to grow somewhere. Grow I, want somewhere. My, yeah, I want my cotton yep. shirts and stuff. There you go. But uh, we've got to keep those traditions yep. going. I mean, there's nothing yep. nothing wrong with it. Not a thing. And I think it's honoring our ancestors when yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah. 
What an inspiring human interest story. A very special thanks to Roland for his commitment to family and to culture to keep these traditions going. Now, I would invite you to visit the website for Wormslow because it is a Georgia State historic site, so you can go and visit it. And I tell you, when you first drive into the property, you will be breathless when you see the avenue of live oaks. It's just amazing. It's fantastic. They are open from 9 a.m. to 4.45. So check out their website at georgiastateparks.org. So thanks for joining me today. And for a look at the video of Sarah Ross, Roland, and myself and a couple of other people out in the rice fields cutting the rice, go to my website, travelbankswithanita.com. Today's show has been brought to you by the Sapelo Island Birdhouses. Check out their website at sapeloislandbirdhouses.com. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me. See you soon.